0: For the month of October, it's uh, it's my intent and my hope, God willing, that uh, I'll be afforded the opportunity to share with you five messages of what I prayerfully perceive to be of great significance to this local church. Having uh, pastored The Rock for uh, seven years and then some, uh, there are just certain things that, that God has put on my heart for this church, and uh, the things that we'll be talking about through the month of October are probably not unique to the Rock. Um, I believe that we we exist within a particular context, a cultural and historical context. Our culture is is what it is in in Canada, and when we live is also equally important. So, so these messages I hope will be relevant not just to this church, but uh, to the church at large, especially in this part of the world at this time in history. Uh, the message that I want to share today, I I believe it's of paramount importance for us as Christians. It, it may be what I believe to be one of the most important things that we need to pause and reflect on. And I was going to leave it until later in the month, but uh, as you know, one of our deacons Ed Karuliak stepped into heaven on Thursday, and the timing of that just made sense to me. That we talk about death and the hope that we have in light of death uh, today. The, now you might say, "Well, this it doesn't seem like anything new. We talk about death all the time, and we do, but the, it's the emphasis that I hope to put on it. Uh, somehow, and I may not be entirely accurate with every." Everyone, But I think generally this is true of us in Canada, in the church. Somehow the emphasis of the gospel has shifted from victory over death, the promise of eternal life, to forgiveness from sin. Now, the gospel is all about forgiveness from sin. And if you don't have forgiveness from sin, then you don't have the hope of eternal life. So the two definitely go together, obviously. But here's the problem. Because we live in a culture that ignores death, that, that pushes it to the side, pretends that it doesn't exist, what we've done is, is we've entirely turned away, or maybe not entirely, but predominantly turned away from the victory that we have in Christ over death to looking at forgiveness for sin, which is good. The problem is this beautiful truth of the gospel of forgiveness from sin has become a therapy. You know, It's something that, that we cling to therapeutically to help us in the day to day, but it has somehow been divorced from or cut off from the fact that forgiveness for sin has everything to do with our impending death. Because if we die without forgiveness for sin, then we are condemned forever and exiled from God. So so the two go together. But what happens when you forget about death? And then unfortunately, death can be a nuisance. And death can just pop up from time to time and we have to address it. But then as soon as we can let it fade away, the better. And now we're back to our therapeutic gospel, which is about feeling better today about ourselves. I've been forgiven for my sins, so I feel better about myself. But but that is such a shallowing out of what forgiveness for sins is supposed to be leading us to, which is an earnest, confident hope that Christ has come and vanquished death so that it has no more sting, and then that makes all the difference in the way in which we live our life. Not necessarily that we feel better about ourselves, though I hope that's a part of it, but so that we go out boldly into the world and not even death can stop us. Where's your sting, death? What are you going to do to me if I take the Gospel to Belize? What are you going to do to me? If I rescue a child out of, out of a harem, what are you going to do to me? You see, all of a sudden, the church has been domesticated because it's all about forgiveness and feeling good about ourselves and not about the Lord of the universe coming in human form and destroying death. I want us to feel good about ourselves. But that—that that is the first step into the depths of the Gospel. And the passing of Ed this week a dear deacon of this church who served this church well i hope that will remind us that the gospel is about so much more than feeling good that we've been forgiven would you open your bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 to 8 as you're looking for your spot would you please stand The title of this morning's message is Make Every Effort Today to Die Well Tomorrow. Don't push it off. Begin to prepare for your death today. Make every effort today to die well tomorrow. These are the very words of God written through the apostle Paul in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 to 8. For I, Paul, am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have Finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. The Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take a look at death, I pray that You would help us to make every effort today to die well tomorrow. Help us to see the urgency of each and every day. The urgency to be Your representatives in this world. Help us to seek significance in Your kingdom and not comforts from this world. Because one day we will all die unless by Your mercy and grace the Lord Jesus returns first. Even still, whether we die or the Lord returns, there's an urgency in today. And I confess on behalf of myself and all of us that we do not always Perhaps we do not often feel this urgency. We have given ourselves over to banality, superficial living comforts. Oh God, have mercy on us. Reinvigorate Your church by Your Holy Spirit. Help us to make every effort today to die well tomorrow. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As is evident at the end, at, from this preaching text, Paul wrote the letter of Second Timothy to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. Timothy was going through a particularly difficult time. And, and he wrote this to Timothy near the end of his life. He was in jail. He said, I, the end is coming. I am being poured out like a drink offering. That's quite an image, right? Of his life. He's just being poured out. The time of his departure was about to come. And we know that it was not long after this letter was written that Paul was beheaded because he was a champion for the Gospel, a missionary to the Gentiles, a man who was not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man who understood that every single day he carried around in him the death of Jesus Christ, which he saw as his own death. And so he lived for Christ and looked forward to the day of his departure. The intent of this letter in 2 Timothy is to spur Timothy on so that Timothy, a young pastor, probably in his late 30s, probably about the same age as me, so this young pastor in Ephesus would Leave it all out on the field, so to speak, that he would live each and every day through whatever hardships God brought along his path, no matter how difficult the mission became, that he would live every day knowing that eventually he will come to his last day and he wanted Timothy, Paul wanted Timothy to make every day count for Christ. That's, that's the point of the letter that's specifically the point of our preaching text. And so in light of, of Ed's death on Thursday, it's helpful for us to remember that the primary pursuit of our life, not the secondary or, or tertiary or whatever down the list you want to make, but the primary pr- pursuit of our life is to prepare for the day of our death. Is, is that the way you think about your life? Because the way we live our lives is directly related to the way in which we understand our lives. Do you, do you live your life knowing that the number one priority in your life every day is to get ready for the last day of your life in these bodies? Now why would, why would every day of our life, the primary reason for our living that day is to get ready for our last day? Why is that? Because on the last day, you are going to meet God. You are going to meet Jesus Christ in the flesh. On the one hand, oh, glory. On the other hand, I wasn't ready. I didn't live. Every day, getting ready for that day, and that's the only day that really matters. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about these riches on earth. Store up riches in heaven so that on that day, you're ready. You've made your investment. You're ready to see God to meet your Maker From this text, I want to pull out three ways that we can live every day in preparation for the last day. If we are to make every effort today to die well tomorrow, we need to do three things. Number one, we must remember that unless the Lord returns, we will all die. It helps us to be mindful. It gives us the right perspective. Number two... If we are to make every effort today to die well tomorrow, we must live well today. And number three, these are all related. If we are to make every effort to die well, we must have the right perspective. The church is suffering from a bad perspective, even with good doctrine. So, so there's doctrine, the things that we believe, but we need to add to that doctrine the right perspective so that we're looking through those doctrines in the right way. And it's when we do that that the doctrine has its proper effect and it changes who we are and it changes the way we live today. It's great to believe in everlasting life, but if we believe it and never think about it or if our perspective is that that's for later and not for now, it won't make a lick of difference in your life. Let's go through these three uh, three ways that we make every effort today to die well tomorrow. Number one, we make every effort today to die well tomorrow when we remember that unless the Lord returns, we will all die. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that I'm going to die. I, I just flat out forget that... The sentence for sin is death, I've sinned, I'm going to die. It's just, that's the way it is, that's the reality, and I can't avoid it. Except, I live in a culture that makes great efforts and goes to tremendous lengths and great pains to try and avoid the reality of our own mortality. It used to be that, that our, our loved ones died in our homes. It used to be that there was someone in the church dying every month or maybe even every week. One of the blessings of the world in which we live now is the advancement in medical science, our ability to live longer and to live healthier, to live stronger, but but also to die in privacy. The downside of, of these things is we can just push death to the side. We can just sort of put a a shroud over it and pretend it doesn't exist in our culture it's easy to forget that one day we will all die you're going to die i've said it and yet still death comes as a shock to us it catches us off guard i got the the call on thursday morning that that ed had died and i was shocked But I had seen him the day before, or the day, maybe two days before, and it was clear that he was about to die. And yet I was caught off guard. I was going to go and see him Thursday morning, and I didn't. I I thought, well, Marjorie will be there later in the day, so I'll just go later in the day. I got used to the condition that he was in, and then when he actually passed out of this world into heaven, I was shocked. Death catches us off guard, even when we're ready for it. It's as though we have forgotten somehow that we are all going to die. With the exception of Enoch and Elijah, however, everyone who has ever lived, including the Lord Jesus Christ, has died. That's two out of how many trillions and trillions of people that have been caught up into heaven. And it's a sort of death, right, as they're raptured up into heaven. Uh, and yet, everyone else has died. So why does it surprise us? I mean, it, you only get to Genesis 5, and the point is made so abundantly clear to us. If you read through that, it says, and he died. He had many sons and daughters, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, It's a genealogy and the genealogy is making the point that we have sinned, sin has come into the human condition and we're going to die. And He died, and He died, and He died. Don't skip over those genealogies too quick. It's a reminder of death. The Apostle Paul, a great man of faith, I know, he was the worst of sinners, but by the grace of God, he became a champion for the gospel. And you think, well, if there's one man that might outrun death, it might be him. Not so. What does it say in verse 6? 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul was ready for death. You you read about it in the beginnings of Philippians. He's like, I might die here in prison. I don't think I will, but I might. And if I did, that would be great. So already he'd been in jail, but previous to this, thought he might die. He didn't. He was let out. He was able to be fruitful for the gospel. But here he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering that that he's already beginning to die. He can feel his life being taken from him. He, he feels that this is the end. And there's a sense in which he's also caught by surprise a little bit. I've been in jail before. I, I was ready for death and I'm ready for death, but it's it's amazing that it's here now. And so all I all I can do, Timothy, is write through this letter. This is the last thing I can say to you. I probably won't see you again. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm going to die, but I want you to remember these things. Paul wasn't immune to death, as I said. Jesus wasn't immune to death. He, Jesus came to die. Oh, I've stressed this pretty hard. Why? Well, I think it's because we just we say it and then move on. We say it and move on. Let's let's talk about death and move on. As if, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that, I know, I know we're gonna, I'm going to die. Yes, yes. We give mental assent to it for a time. But have you ever allowed that reality to sink in? And in all seriousness, maybe those of you who are aging, the reality sinks in a little bit deeper and a little bit heavier. But for those of you who are young, don't just say, well, that's later. How do you know that you're not the next one to die among us? If we are going to die well, we can't push death off. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. We have to be mindful of the fact that death is coming. Second, if we are to make every effort today to die well tomorrow, we must live well today. There's three points that I'm going to make within this second point. Take a look at verse 7. Paul in verse 6 says, look, I'm about to die. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. To me, those three things, and we're going to look at them each in order, they describe what it means to live well. To live well, we must fight the good fight. When? Today. And tomorrow is a new today, and next week is a new today. Every day that's called today, to borrow from the writer of Hebrews, we need to fight the good fight, not put it off. There's, there has to be an urgency in the way we live our life. Uh, Paul didn't say, I had a few days where I fought the good fight. The sense here is every single day, I got up and I put on my battle wear and I went out and I fought the good fight every day. Let's take a look at that one and then we'll move on. How did Paul fight the good fight? Well, you look at Paul's life and he fought the good fight by, number one, spreading the gospel among the Gentiles. That was the call that God put on his life. He was going to go out and he was just always trying to push ahead. He wanted to get to Spain. We don't know if he got that far, but he was constantly saying, I want to go where the gospel hasn't been. Now, this is how Paul fought the good fight. It's not that we're all called to be missionaries. We're going to start with Paul and we're going to look at Timothy and then we're going to look at ourselves. Uh, he preached the truth. He looked for every opportunity to preach the truth. Was was there somebody that wanted to talk about something significant? Paul was there to talk to him about the truth. Was that person a Jew? He was going to talk about the truth from the Old Testament Scriptures. Was that person an Athenian, a a Gentile that uh, that knew Greek philosophy? Then he was going to take a look at Greek philosophy and he was going to say, look, I, I know that this is what you believe, but have you ever thought about this in light of that? Paul Paul preached the truth wherever he was. If somebody gave him a pulpit, he would preach. If they didn't give him a pulpit, he'd go to the marketplace and he would share the Gospel. And and thirdly, he devoted himself to refuting false teaching. He went out and he looked for false teachers. and, And he very publicly said, this is wrong. Don't believe this lie. Because if you believe this lie, you're going to be condemned and go to hell. Don't believe it. Oh, this is not very Canadian, but Paul wasn't Canadian. And, and these three things constitute how Paul fought the good fight. Oh, it's so easy for us to just let false teaching go. Somebody else will get to that person. You know, I've I've got my salvation now. I'm going to live like the Gentiles do. By that I don't mean Gentiles, but you know that's a saying in the Old Testament. I'm going to live like the unbelievers do. Because I'm saved, and so, I don't care that my life doesn't look any different than my unbelieving neighbors. I just don't care. That's not fighting the good fight. Timothy fought the good fight by preaching the Word of God, specifically at Ephesus. So, I love this because Paul was a missionary, so, Okay, that's that's scary because now does that mean that we all have to be missionaries? No, Timothy fought the good fight by staying at Ephesus. 1 Timothy 1. And, and he preached the gospel from the same pulpit week in and week out, in season and out of season. You just look at the beginning of 2 Timothy 4, verses 1-5, to 5, and you'll see that was his good fight. Paul was giving him his marching orders and they weren't new. He was just repeating what he had already said to him in 1 Timothy. Now, we're not Paul... And we're not Timothy. So, what do we do? How do we fight the good fight? I think the answer is in verse 5. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Now, this is written specifically to Timothy, but there are principles here that are true for every believer. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You want to fight the good fight? You you live 2 Timothy 4-5. What does it mean to be sober-minded? Well, it means to be level-headed. It means to think seriously about serious things. Now we live in a culture where this is very, very difficult because you know who gets the most money in our culture are those people who entertain us, baseball players, actors and actresses, singers, rappers. If we could be entertained, in other words, if we could be lighthearted and not be sober minded, we'll give you a lot of money. So that we could do those things. I don't want to be serious about serious things. I just want to be light-hearted and entertained. Now, I, I love a good movie as much as anyone, and I love the Blue Jays, and I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs this year. <laughs> so, I, everything in its in its balance. But to be sober-minded, I want to say it to you this way: is to live with an eternal perspective because when when you think about death every day and then and then you remember that Jesus came to die and he was raised from the dead so that yes we could be forgiven from our sins but the forgiveness of sins is a means to our own resurrection unto glory and eternal life now that is being sober minded how does that translate into your life today. That if if you do that then you'll be fighting the good fight. Can you can you watch baseball games and movies and have fun with your kids? Absolutely. But let's season it with some sober thinking. To endure suffering. This is an interesting one because again, we live in a culture that does everything to avoid suffering. So how do we endure suffering? I want to put it to you this way as an exhortation. Seek God, not comfort. Don't seek persecution. Don't seek after suffering. Seek God, not comfort. It means rearranging the priorities of your life. So that, so you're seeking God in His kingdom. And then what did Jesus say? All these other things will be added to you according to the measure that God wants to give them to you. But honestly, gut check, and just for yourself, I've got my own issues in this area, but for yourself, are we, are we seeking God first, or are we seeking our own comforts? Can we be comfortable and seek God? Sure. I don't I'm not I'm not an asceticist, which means I'm not asceticism is a false teaching that says that you need to suffer in order to be holy. You need to you deprive yourself in order to be holy and pleasing God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is seek God first. If God adds comforts to your life, praise God, be thankful. If God brings suffering into your life, Endure. It's part of fighting the good fight. And I want to be careful how I say this, but on Monday, tomorrow, we have a funeral here for a deacon in the church. Now, it would be very easy to say, well, I've got other plans. I'm at work. I'm... I was going away. I have some other thing that I need to do. If if I phone in work, to work and say I can't come in today because a deacon in my church has died and there's a funeral and, and all of his family is unsaved, and what a witness it would be to have uh, many of us there, you might suffer. Your boss might not understand. He You might lose a day's pay. But... Put it in perspective, he's a deacon in the church. He's died. And Marjorie's all alone, and his kids aren't saved. So how are we going to invest our day tomorrow? Will we together fight the good fight? Now, I've laid it on you pretty heavy. I don't know any other way to lay it down. Now, if you absolutely can't be there, I understand I'm not going to be taking attendance. But we need to be a lot better at attending funerals in the church. Do the work of an evangelist. Well, make sharing the Gospel the most important thing in your life. Make it more important than making friends. Do it with gentleness and respect and, and do it relationally. You don't need that first time you meet somebody, drop a track on them and say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned. Like there's tact. But is, is it our heartbeat to see people come to faith? Fulfill your ministry. Do the things that God created you to do which is unique to each one of us. So I can't apply that for you. But fulfill your ministry. I would suggest that if we want to fight the good fight, we're sober-minded, we endure suffering, we do the work of an evangelist, and we fulfill our ministry. Then at the end of your days, if you've done those four things fairly consistently, day in and day out, you with Paul can say, I've fought the good fight. Secondly, the other way that we live well is we finished the race. There must have been days when Paul wanted to quit. Just listen to this. Don't turn. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians. But you listen to this and tell me that there weren't days when Paul wanted to quit. We do not want you, Corinthian brothers, to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. There's a man who's running hard to finish the race. In Second in Timothy, he says to Timothy, don't forget that in Asia, everyone abandoned me. I want to read this to you too, just later in the letter. This is Paul writing, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. So, 40 lashes was supposed to kill you. That's why they did 39. They, they, the whole point is, and whether or not it was 39 actual lashes, or it was, beat this man until he's almost dead, but not dead. That happened to Paul five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now, the Bible's not clear whether or not he was stoned to death. He might have been stoned to death because they left him for dead. And they were pretty effective at stoning people. But God raised him up. Whether he was dead or, or not doesn't matter. God gave him recovery. He regained his strength and he kept going. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So, he's shipwrecked and he's on a piece of wood and he's floating out in the ocean. Or the Mediterranean Sea, but you know what I mean. That's like my worst nightmare. It happened to him three times. And with all those big fish swimming underneath him. No, nothing to drink. The sun beating down, not knowing if that's how he's going to die. Um, On frequent journeys, I've been in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. That's the Jews. The Jews, he he wanted to share the gospel with them; They wanted to kill him. Danger from Gentiles. So it's not like the Gentiles were any easier on him. I've been in danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Even the church wants to kill me. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, I've been often without food. I've been cold and totally exposed with no place to sleep. And apart from other things, so if that wasn't bad enough, worst of all, there is the daily pressure on me from the anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? Now, on the one hand, it's not fair to hold up Paul's life and say you're not trying hard enough. Look at what he experienced. Um, but that's that's kind of why he's writing this. He that's what verse 29 is all about. Anyone want to complain about your life? That that's what Paul said, not me. And he's writing to the, to the super apostles in Corinth and to the church in Corinth. You, you think you've got it bad? And he just kept running. Just kept running. I mean, it would take maybe one of those things to knock me out of the race, maybe. <laughs> I started the race, I'm I'm done. But God willing, that's not true. But that's how I feel sometimes. Now we know that there are re- days when Timothy wanted to quit. That's what the book of Second Timothy is all about. Paul's near the end of his life. Timothy wants to quit. Just listen to this. At the very beginning, Paul says to Timothy, I, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. And I want you to know, Timothy, that I remember you. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember you with tears, I begin to cry thinking about you. I long to see you, uh, that I may be filled with joy. And I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure it dwells in you. And for this reason, I remind you, keep going. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Keep running the race. Go until the end. Timothy wanted to quit. Paul said you can't quit. And he encouraged him by reminding him of himself. Timothy knew everything Paul had been through. And then this is... This is smart, right? Don't forget about your grandma <laughs> and your mom. Remember what they did for you. They poured into you. They, they raised you on the Scriptures. He comes back to them in, in 2 Timothy 3. Don't forget about them. They taught you the Scriptures. you got to keep running for them. Later on, and this will be a sermon in its own right, in that chapter he says, and most of all, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, a descendant of David according to my gospel. So, do we ever grow weary? Do we ever want to stop running? Does it ever just feel easier to take a break from the church? I'll just back away. It's not going the way I wanted it to go. I'm just, it's too hard. Believe me, I know the church is a hard place. It's a hard place. We are hard on one another. Do everyone just want to take a break from building our relationship with Christ? You know what? I've been working pretty hard on my Bible studies. This month is for me. I know it happens. It happens to every one of us. We must finish the race. Thirdly, we keep the faith. Paul kept the faith by preaching the truth and refuting false teachers. Timothy is encouraged to keep the faith as well. Same thing. End of chapter 3. Remember the Scriptures. They are the very breath of God. So, the whole point is, is if we want to keep the faith, we have to never stop learning the Bible. It's so easy to say, well, I think I, I know enough. I've, I've kind of got this book figured out. At least I, I know enough for me. I, I don't really have the desire or the drive or the time. To actually learn more. I, I, I have all of the elementary doctrines. I know that I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm done. I'm good. And then we coast on the knowledge that we have. The problem is uh, you, you are either moving forward or backward. There's no such thing as maintaining. A, and we will fall into false teaching and heresy if we don't continue learning the Bible. No one can stop learning the Bible That's how we keep the faith. So, that's a lot of information, isn't it? All in all, how do we summarize it? If we want to make every effort today to die well tomorrow, the first thing we have to do is just remember that one day we're going to die. And then, secondly, uh, we must live well. How do we live well? Well, we fight the good fight. How do we fight the good fight? Well, we live with an eternal perspective. We seek God and His kingdom, not comfort. We share the gospel as the most important thing that we do in our life. And we fulfill our ministry. We do the things that God created us to do. We finish the race. We don't stop even when it gets hard. And we keep the faith. We continue to grow in our knowledge of the truth. There's one third thing that we do. If we want to make every effort today to die well tomorrow, we must have the right perspective about death. And so this sort of ties into what we've been talking about. It's not entirely its own point. But look at verse 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. It's so easy, as I've said in many different ways this morning, to be distracted by this world. It's easy. In fact, it's, it's difficult not to be distracted by this world. But here, here's the point. When we die, we can take nothing with us. This world does not come with us. We have to have the right perspective about death today. So, so when we're, we're working so hard for things that are temporary that we can't take with us, why don't we work equally hard or, or more for things that are eternal? We can take no riches with us. We could take no possessions. We could take no houses. We could take no titles. We could take no college or university degrees. We can take no fame. We could take no promotions at work. You just, whatever, add to the list yourself. What is it that you're clinging to that you can't take with you? Paul, again, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 says, we came into this world with nothing. We will leave this world with nothing. Between the time we came into the world and the time we leave the world, if we have food and clothing, we shall be content with these. That 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 takes my breath away. I'm not there. I'm striving. I, I sold sold my fridge yesterday. Yeah, that was hard. I'm serious. I love that fridge. It was a double door fridge. And you could just put so much into it. And right now, by the way, we, we have the mini fridge from the cafe at our house. <laughs> Just for a time. I asked Brenda. But I thought about when I was selling that fridge, I thought about what I was going to be saying this morning. I'm like, shame on me. It's a fridge. But what's your fridge? See, the only thing that will matter is what we've done in our life for Christ. That's what you take with you. God is going to examine us. There there is a judgment to come, even for the saved. And what God does, He says, I'm gonna burn up everything that's sinful and useless. So not just sin, but even the useless stuff. So the number of hours I watched baseball by myself, it's getting burned up. Now if I evangelize to somebody at Rogers Center, they'll stay. Anyway, uh, but but the point is, everything gets burned up except what we've done for Christ. And then we are awarded accordingly. We're not all equal in heaven. Heaven is not communism. It's a kingdom with Jesus at the top and there's a hierarchy. And, And so the things that we do for Christ matter at the judgment and they matter for all eternity. The most insignificant thing in this life, done for Christ, is eternally significant. And the greatest thing done in this life that has no thought of Christ is meaningless. The right perspective. You know, If you're President of the United States or Prime Minister of Canada, and you don't know Christ, all of the time and effort that you've put into that is nothing. If you make billions of dollars and you don't know Christ, it's all getting burned up. But if you are a stay-at-home mom with with a husband who's just barely making ends meet and and, and you're home raising your kids in the Gospel and your husband is providing uh, in obedience to Christ and and he's a good witness in in the workplace, though you have little in this life, it it is so much wealth eternally. Can we have that perspective? Because we're all going to die. And then there's an accounting. The righteous Judge will cut through all the clutter and banality. And He will give crowns different sizes to all who have loved His appearing. Therefore, turn your eyes upon Jesus Don't look at this world. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Oh soul, why are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free through death into life everlasting. He passed and we follow Him there. Or our sin has no more dominion for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe Him. And all will be well, then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. On Thursday, our dear Ed stepped into the throne room of God Almighty and he has seen Jesus. he is now residing in the center of all reality. And everything that he sees, everything he experiences is more real than the world he lived in for 81 years. Based on conversations that I have had on him and based on what I know of Scripture, I am sure that if he could, he would exhort us from there saying, make every effort today to die well tomorrow. And we can do this by remembering that one day we will die. Uh, we can do this by living well today and we can do this by keeping the right perspective on that which really matters and that which does not matter at all. The first time that I met with Ed in Marge after his diagnosis, it was just at the end of August. Not very long ago. And he was very upset, obviously. But you know what he was most upset about? And I've got permission from him for all of these things that I share about him, just so you know. He said to me, I'm just not sure that I did enough for Christ. That's what he said. That's what mattered to him after he was diagnosed with terminal leukemia. Now, I assured him based on Ephesians 2:10 that he had done everything that God had prepared for him to do before the foundation of the world and and I will say that to you if I'm at your deathbed because God makes no mistakes he has set everything out before us and he was so relieved So at the end, we can die with confidence that we've done everything that God predestined us to do from before the foundations of the world. But I didn't stop there in my conversation with Ed. I said, but Ed, you're not done. He's like, I'm, I'm not done? I said, you're not done. There's still more that God has predestined you to do before your last day. And he, he said, well, what is that? And I said, Ed, it's time to make the decision to die well. And he looked at me and he said, thank you. Thank you, Adam. I needed to hear that. Now I want to die well. And he asked if I would help him. And I promised him that I would do my best to help him to die well. Ed died well. He made every effort to cling to Christ, to be a witness to his family, and to die well. And he did. Now our prayer is that tomorrow at the funeral, when his family is here, they will reflect on Ed's life and the way that he died. And they will hear from the Word of God and by all that Ed did from August till his last day in September God used that to bring his children into glory let us all strive to make every effort today to die well tomorrow it's the only thing that matters it's the heart of the gospel let's pray heavenly father we we confess to you that we're so distracted and we've we've shallowed out the gospel so that it it helps us to feel good as it should, but we're not as mindful of death and our victory over death through Christ. And because we're not mindful of that we don't live today in light of that and We're distracted by all manner of things. Oh, Spirit, help us. Help us to live well today so that we can die well tomorrow. In Christ's name, Amen.